Last week we closed Acts chapter 24 uh, with uh, Felix and his wife Drusilla being addressed uh, by Paul. They invited him to speak and he shared the gospel with them. He shared their need for righteousness and self-control and then he went on to talk about the judgment that is to come. And uh, Felix got a little um, upset, scared, freaked out, and said, okay, I'm done listening to this. And, and he sent him away. But at the end of the last chapter, we find out that Felix was being replaced by a new governor named Festus. And that's where we left off. Today's message is titled, A New Audience. And we're going to continue our study through the book of Acts with chapter 25 in verse 1. Where we read, Now, when Festus had come to the province, after three days he went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem. So here's Festus. He comes into the province, Judea. Jerusalem is the primary city as far as the largest city uh, with the most activity, the most stuff happening. But the Roman capital for that area was Caesarea. It was a Roman port built by Herod the Great, many years earlier. And so it was still very active as a Roman port. And here is where they made the seat of the Roman justice there in Caesarea. Back then it was called Caesarea Maritima, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. If not, we're just faking it then. That's what it actually spelled, Maritima. So here, Festus wasted no time, we read, that he went up to Jerusalem because that was the primary city for all of Judea. And he got to Caesarea and said, I need to go check out and see what's going on in uh, Jerusalem. So he made his way up there. Then the high priest and the chief men of the Jews informed against Paul And they petitioned him, asking a favor against him, that he would summon him to Jerusalem. And then there's a dash, while they lay in ambush along the road to kill him. You see, they didn't tell him that. That's just what their plan was. But they were trying to convince uh, Festus, hey, Bring this Paul back. The first thing that comes to my mind, it's been two years. Two years since Paul went on trial um, with Felix, and they decided, hey, there isn't enough to hold him on. Remember, Felix said, okay, we're going to hold this trial off until we hear from the commander of the army, he's going to come and he's going to report back to me and then I'll make a decision. Well, two years went by and that never happened. He never made a decision. Now he's succeeded uh, by Festus 
And now Festus has to figure out what to do with this guy. Festus didn't have all the history that Felix had with him. Felix had met numerous times with Paul. And so Festus now had to figure out what was going on with him. So the first thing that happens, he goes up to Jerusalem and the Jews immediately, they, they just couldn't let this die, could they? Two years later, they're still holding on to hope that they can kill Paul. You know, what does that say about their religion? What does that say about their hearts? You know, these people weren't obedient even to their own law. And so this was um, probably going to cause more trouble for Paul, but I don't think Paul was concerned at this point. In verse 4 we continue, But Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea and that he himself was going there shortly. Therefore, he said, let those who have authority among you go down with me and accuse this man to see if there is any fault in him. And so here are the Jews. They say, okay, bring Paul here. Once again, what the, the 40 guys that remember um, made a pact that they were going to kill Paul and they weren't going to eat or drink until they killed Paul. Remember that? Well, where are those guys? By this point, they should be dead. It's two years later. But they're probably the same 40 that are saying, hey, come on, bring him through and we'll um, go attack him when he's on the road. You know, and, and in my mind, I think about what these Jewish leaders were concerned about. What was their main malfunction? What were they concerned about with Paul? There's only one thing. Uh, to me, that they were concerned about. It was Jesus. Paul represented Jesus. He was sharing the gospel. It's been two years. He hasn't been to Jerusalem. He's not interacting with the Jews in Jerusalem. He's not drawing anyone into a relationship with Jesus in Jerusalem. But they were still out to get him. Now, he did have freedom to have people visit with him. And he had his folks coming uh, to his, uh, whatever it was that wherever he was staying, he was staying at the Herodian palace. And so wherever he was staying, he had friends. He had the ability to have them come. There were always guards that were watching over him, but he still had freedom uh, to do what he wanted to do and to be able to share the good news with them. So he wasn't going out into the highways and byways and and sharing, but whoever he was pouring into, they were. They were going out and they were sharing the gospel. And so he was still having an impact. um, And we don't know how many people he saw, but probably a lot of them that were in the area were coming uh, to visit with him. So now Festus was wise enough at this point to keep Paul in Caesarea and say, you know what, Uh, I'm just going to leave him there. We'll go back there. Because Paul was a Roman citizen, and that was the Roman seat. It wasn't Jerusalem. It was Caesarea. And so now in verse 7, 
He said, when he had come, the Jews, I'm sorry, when, let me go back up to verse 6. Uh, no, let me go back up to verse 5. Therefore, he said, let those who have authority go down and see if there's any fault in him. So now they said, you bring the guys that are going to accuse him, that are going to make your accusations. And when he had remained among them more than 10 days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day, seated, sitting on the judgment seat, he commanded Paul to be brought. So this was high priority. If he went back to Caesarea and the next thing, remember, he was in Jerusalem for 10 days. He had only been in Caesarea for three days as the governor. And so now he's going right into trying Paul and he brings Paul. So this was a hot topic for him to address. And he commanded Paul to be brought. And when he had come, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood about and laid many serious complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. And while he answered for himself, Paul said, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I offended in anything at all. So here they come with their accusations that they made previously. These aren't new accusations. They're just drumming up the same old accusations. Now I'm sure Festus had the notes from the court reporter uh, when Felix held the trial and they found that there was nothing there. So here... He's looking, saying, okay, this is, these are the same accusations that are being made against. And Paul didn't have to defend himself. He just said, I didn't do anything. I didn't break the law of the Jews. I didn't defame the temple. I didn't do anything to go in and, and cause trouble at the temple. And I didn't break any Roman laws. So... If you heard that as the governor, as the judge, as the ruler, you would have to question, why is he in prison? Why is he being held? Because there is no charge against him that's sticking. So he has to be... The Roman laws back then were very similar to our laws today. And unless he's convicted of something, he shouldn't be held. And so this has been going on for years, and there was no reason uh, to hold him. But Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, so here's the underlying story. I want to do the Jews a favor here. Do we remember someone else that wanted to do them a favor? Felix wanted to do the Jews a favor. And that's why he left him in prison. And so now, and, and he wasn't really in a prison, but he was being held. He was being detained. And so Festus wanted to do them a favor, answered Paul and said, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? You will notice that they've used this term numerous times. 
up to Jerusalem, down to Caesarea, up to Jerusalem, down to Caesarea. The thing is, Caesarea was north of Jerusalem. It's northwest of Jerusalem on the Mediterranean. But Jerusalem is the highest point in all of Israel, and so you're always going up to Jerusalem. There's never a time where you're going down, even if you're going south. You're not, um, you're not going down to Jerusalem if you're in the northern area. You're still going up to Jerusalem. So it wasn't a direction as in northeast, south, or west. It was the fact that you're going up there. And so here it says that um, Festus wanted to do them a favor and he asked Paul if he's willing to be judged by him in Jerusalem. Well, Paul already knew what was happening in Jerusalem with the Jews. They hated him. They wanted to kill him. They had already plotted to kill him with 40 men that were took an oath against him. So he knew that Jerusalem isn't the place. Now, the Roman courts really didn't do things in Jerusalem. They did them in Caesarea. The Roman court was in Caesarea. Now they would hold trials in Jerusalem. But really when you went up the chain, when you wanted to take it higher in the court and go to an appeal, you were going to Caesarea because that's where the governor's seat was. And after the governor's seat, if you didn't, weren't satisfied as a Roman citizen only, but if you weren't satisfied with the result there in Caesarea, you can then appeal to Caesar. And that would be like uh, going up to our Supreme Court. And so Paul now is, once again, he, he is appealing uh, to Festus, but that's in Caesarea. And he says, hey, or do you want to go to Jerusalem? And Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews, I have done no wrong, as you very well know. And so Paul called Festus out. You know that I have done nothing wrong against it because you heard their arguments and they're wimpy at best. There's no argument that will stick that they brought against me. For if I am an offender or have committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying. Well, that's a bullshit. If I did something worthy of death, kill me. Basically is what he's saying. But if there is nothing in these things of which these men accuse me, no one can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar. And so now he makes the statement to Festus. And as the governor, uh, you know, he has to take this into consideration. It's a Roman citizen. And the Jews are not Romans. So they can't. Now there are Romans that are Jews. But the Jews that aren't Roman citizens have no say-so in the Roman court. Basically, Rome gets to decide what takes place there. But then Festus, uh, 
when he had conferred with the council, answered, you have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you shall go. And so Festus commits, okay, you want to go to Caesar, you want to go to the Supreme Court, then that's where you're going to go. Because he had a right to go there. He was a Roman citizen. He, he was born a Roman citizen. He didn't buy his citizenship. He wasn't a second-hand Roman citizen. He was born into it. And so he had this right that was given to him. Festus was between a rock and a hard place, really. He didn't have any reason to hold Paul any longer. He could see that the accusations against him were weak and they wouldn't stand up in a court. So he didn't know what to do except, you know, except his plea to go before Caesar. If he let Paul go, then the Jews would be irate and that would cause trouble too. You know, even though the Romans were over the Jews, uh, they still tried to appease them somewhat because there were a lot of Jews in Jerusalem and they didn't want to cause any trouble. So Paul didn't want to give the Jews an opportunity to ambush him and he knew he wouldn't get a fair trial if he went to Jerusalem. So Paul refused to be tried there and asked to go to Caesar. Paul's going to be spending a little more time in Caesarea before he is transferred off to Rome. So in verse 13, we read, And after some days, King Agrippa and Bernice came to Caesarea to greet Festus. So here, the king of this area, of this region, comes to hang out with the new governor, Festus. And he brings Bernice with him. This king is the great-grandson of Herod the Great. And if we remember who Herod the Great is, he was the one who ordered the death of all children to and under because the wise men came and said, we're looking for the king that was born and he was threatened by that. So he had all the children to and under killed to ensure that this king uh, wasn't going to be um, able to take his throne and assume his throne. So he died and his son Herod Antipas Antipas became the Tetrarch. Tetrarch means he was over one quarter of uh, the area. His four sons uh, took different regions. And so Herod Antipas became the Tetrarch of Galilee and Perea, the area that was across the Jordan. And Antipas was the ruler who divorced his wife and then married the wife of his brother Philip. And uh, she became his wife, and, and her daughter came with her. And John the Baptist said, hey, that's wrong. And he rebuked him for doing that. And so Herod Antipas didn't like that. 
Herodias, his new wife, didn't like it very much. And she was very upset because, you know, who is this guy calling us out, John the Baptist? And so when she danced, well, her daughter, Salome is her name, danced before Herod. He watched her dance and said, oh, this was amazing. She's beautiful. Um, The daughter or or the mother, Herodias, was... um, a sister to Drusilla. So they're they're all like one big family, you know? Nope, wrong. Um, Bernice was the sister to Drusilla. Sorry, we'll get up with that. We'll catch up with that in a minute. So here's Salome dancing, and he says, I'll give you anything. What do you wish? And she goes to mom, and Herodias says, I want the head of John the Baptist. And you know, so Herod has to do it because he said, you know, he promised. And so John the Baptist is killed by Herod Antipas uh, then. So Jesus was sent before this Herod when Pilate had sent him to go see Herod. Pilate didn't want anything to do with Jesus and said, all right, I'm going to send you to Herod and you're going to have to deal with him. And he went before Herod and Jesus said, Nothing. Herod was trying to get him to say something, trying to get him to do tricks and stuff like that, and Jesus didn't talk to him. So Herod eventually has him beat, mocks him, and uh, then sends him back to Pilate. Then Herod Antipas was replaced by Herod Agrippa, who ruled for about three years in Jerusalem. Agrippa then had James, the brother of John, killed. And after he had James killed, he see that it, saw that it pleased the Jews. So he had Peter arrested, intending to have him killed. But an angel comes and frees Peter. And then, uh, you know, Peter goes out and realizes, oh, you know, I, I, he thought he was dreaming. And he got set free and he went and uh, went with the, uh, the, the group over at the upper room. They were still meeting there, and he went and uh, met with them. So Agrippa I was the king who went to Caesarea and gave an oration. And remember, he was orating, and they were saying, the voice of a god and not of a man. And an angel of the Lord came down, And he was eaten by worms. So that's kind of a gross story before lunch. And so uh, the thing is that it's actually documented uh, by Josephus in the Antiquities. And he wrote about, now he didn't write about the voice of a God and not of a man, but he wrote about the fact that he went in all his pomp and royalty and stood before the people. And then he got sick. And during that speech, something happened. He got sick. Five days later, he died. And that was uh, from the worms. So not delightful. But uh, then he was replaced by his 
um, son, Herod Agrippa II. And that's who Paul is going to be standing before, this Herod Agrippa II with Bernice. Bernice is not his wife, it's his sister that he was having an incestuous relationship with. And so that wasn't even accepted in, you know, uh, the Roman law. So he wasn't well liked because of that. So chapter uh, 25, verse 14, we read, When they had been there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, there is a certain man left a prisoner by Felix, about whom the chief priests and the elders of the Jews informed me when I was in Jerusalem, asking for a judgment against him. To them I answered, it is not the custom of the Romans to deliver any man to destruction before the accused meets the accusers face to face and has an opportunity to answer for himself concerning the charge against him. Very similar to our laws today. Therefore, when they had come together without any delay, the next day I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought in. When the accusers stood up, they brought no accusation against him of such things, I supposed, but had some questions against him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who had died, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. And because I was uncertain of such questions, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and there be judged concerning these matters. But when Paul appealed to be, uh, to be reserved for the decision of Augustus, I commended him to be kept until I can send him to Caesar. And then Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear the man myself. And tomorrow, he said, you shall hear him. So now Festus tells Agrippa and gives him all the backstory of what took place. So Festus wasn't really knowledgeable in the things. He even said a man named Jesus. It didn't appear that Festus was really knowledgeable about these things. He, he, he didn't even have an understanding of the things that you would think he would have an understanding, especially being the governor over Jerusalem. You would think he would have a knowledge of uh, the things that were important. Well, King Agrippa had the legal um, authority over uh, Jerusalem, over that whole area, Caesarea, and the temple and the temple mount. Uh, so he had the authority to go further. And, to, and you would have to imagine that he understood things a little bit more Uh, than Festus did at this point. You see, he was a Jew. And he was knowledgeable in the things of the Jews and Jewish laws and customs. And it appears that he was also knowledgeable with Christianity. Verse 23. And... So the next day, when Agrippa and Bernice had come with great pomp 
and had entered the auditorium with the commanders and the prominent men of the city, at Festus' command, Paul was brought in. What a picture. Okay, they're coming in with all their royal garments, their pomp, all of the musicians were there, and they're brought in with all of the royalty of the community, the leaders, the elders, and they're all lined up coming in in all of their royal garb. And it was a pretty big show. And then Paul the prisoner. The stories about Paul were that he wasn't particularly attractive. He was kind of hunched over. He had a hooked nose. I haven't seen pictures of him, but the descriptions that were given of him, extra biblical descriptions, um, said that he wasn't very attractive or powerful as a man. He didn't have a presence, a persona of, of authority. He basically was, you know, just an old guy that was bent over and coming in. You know, and, and that gives me hope. Okay, because, I mean, he wrote one-third of the New Testament, you know, and so that gives me hope that, you know, maybe I'll... I have some, you know, he, he obviously had the power of the Holy Spirit that was driving him. And so here he comes in and stands before all this pomp, before all of this royalty, before all of these leaders. And Festus said in verse 24, King Agrippa and all the men are, who are here present with us, you see this man about whom the whole assembly of the Jews petitioned me, both at Jerusalem and here, crying out that he was not fit to live any longer. But when I found that he had committed nothing deserving of death, and that he himself had appealed to Augustus, I decided to send him. I have nothing certain to write to my Lord concerning him. Therefore, I have brought him out before you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after the examination has taken place, I may have something to write. It's like Festus is saying, I have no clue as to what to do with this guy. I have nothing to send with him when he goes on trial to Caesar. I have nothing, no charges against him. And here I am, I'm going to say, I'm going to look like a doofus. I'm going to send him up there and Caesar's going to say, Festus, did we pick the wrong guy to be governor? You know, and, and it appears that maybe they did. But, uh, you know, that, back then it's who you knew. That's how you got in positions back then. And so Festus was just uh, trying to make it real. You know, I don't know what to do with this guy. And I'm hoping that you, King Agrippa, are smarter than me and that you would be able to gen up some charges so that we can send him up there. 
For it seems to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not to specify the charges against him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we're going to bring you to court and we don't know what the charges are. We're just going to keep questioning you until you perjure yourself, right? Uh, You know, that's acceptable in our courts today, but not back then. It wasn't acceptable back then. And, And so here, as we end this chapter... You know, last time when I taught this, I went right on through chapter 26, but there's a lot that goes on there, and I decided, you know what, we we need to separate these two and really focus on what is taking place and, and how it is important, even to us today. So we look at what's going on here. Festus was unsure of what to do. And this is one of the important roles that the governor has is to solve problems like this and, and um, adjudicate these, um, these issues. And so we see that in verse 9, he wanted to do the Jews a favor. And doing favors took priority over actually the truth. And that was something that Paul was arguing the whole time. Every time he went before these courts, he would present the truth. He would say, look, this is what I have done, or rather, what I have not done. They're accusing me of this and that and this and that, and I've done none of those things. I wasn't in the temple doing anything in the temple, I didn't bring any Gentiles in. I didn't cause any trouble there. There were no riots. I wasn't involved in any of that. If I was, bring the accusers that actually saw it. Bring witnesses. Now, see, he knew that if he went back to Jerusalem to be put back on trial there, first of all, if they didn't kill him on the way there and he made it to Jerusalem, they would find false witnesses. Do you remember? They found false witnesses against Jesus, right? And and that's why Jesus was put to death. The Romans didn't care. They just wanted to solve the Jewish problem. They just wanted to appease the, the masses. Folks, we're seeing that today. People want to be Uh, to appease the masses that have the loudest voice. They're not the majority. They just have the loudest voice. And the louder they shout, the less the people speak out. And all we have to do is keep our voices quiet and they win. So I'm going to tell you the rest of the story. They don't win. The Bible says so. And so I'm not one to get riled up about what the government is doing, about what the people are doing, about what non-government organizations are doing. I don't get riled up. I don't care 
what's going on with these big high-level meetings, you know, at, at, at all, uh, all of the richest people in the world. And they're, they're all going to get together and, and come up with solutions of how to solve the problems. We haven't done that in 6,000 years. Why does anyone think we're going to solve the world's problems now? Because they're deceived. The enemy has deceived them. Their minds are, I'm convinced it's because of global warming. (laughs) Just wanted to throw that out there. It has nothing to do with the climate. It has nothing to do with the fact that our food supply is polluted and everyone's getting sick. You know, these things are just a fact because this is what the world is coming to. But I don't care because I still know who's in charge. We have a Lord and Savior that's going to finish the work that he started. And he's not doing building projects on earth. He's doing them in people. The building project is the work that he started in us. And he said, the work that I started in you, I'm going to complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. And so, that will be done. There's nothing that's going to stop that. I know the end of the story. And so, nothing will stop God from carrying out his plan. The same way with Paul. You see, Paul went before, um, he was on his way to Damascus to go kill some more Christians and go arrest some more Christians. See, he believed in what he was doing. He believed he was right. And so he was doing the same thing the Jews are doing to him. And so he goes, meets Jesus on the way to Damascus, and then is blinded, and he has to go uh, into Damascus. And the Lord said, wait there. Three days later, Ananias comes to him. Because the Lord spoke to Ananias and said, go. And I want you to go pray for this Paul. Lay hands on him. Pray for him because, um, you know, he's waiting in this room. And I'll tell you where to go. And Ananias said, I know who this is. We don't want him in our camp. We don't want him to be a Christian. And Jesus said, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul got to see what he was going to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. How would you like that? How would you like to know the things that you would have to suffer? For? That's how come we don't know. Because if we knew, we'd freak out. We'd have a hard time dealing with it. So 
Paul didn't get the big picture. He wasn't told how he was going to get to Rome. But Jesus did tell him, you're going to Rome. He said, don't worry about what's going on here. You're going to get to Rome. And Paul already knew, if Jesus told me I'm going to Rome, I'm going to get there. And so all of these other things that were taking place in Jerusalem and Caesarea, Paul wasn't concerned. He knew he was getting to Rome. And so when it seemed like they were going to send him back to Jerusalem, he was like, no, I appeal to Caesar. Now I know how I'm getting to Rome. I appeal to Caesar. I'm going to get to Rome. But was that God's plan? Who knows? It it was kind of like, you know, um, when you read stories how people force their hand, force God's hand, you know, I'm going to do this and I'm going to accomplish this. Jacob and his brother Esau, you know, God said, oh, Jacob is going to be the one to receive the blessing. And, you know, the next thing you know, he's putting on animal hair and going in and tricking his father so that he would receive the blessing. He didn't have to do that. But he did. He still got it. And everything went according to plan. Well, with Paul, we don't know. But Paul did what God led him to do as far as we understand. And so now he's going to Rome. But he already knew the things that he was going to have to suffer because Jesus said, I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And and so he was prepared for that. He knew it was going to happen. Paul now has this new audience. He's fulfilling the prophecy that Jesus delivered to him. Consider all the people that Paul had contact with while he was being held there in Caesarea. The the servants that came in and brought him food. The guards that were constantly rotated that protected him while he was there, ensuring that he didn't leave. All the people that came and you know, we're sitting there with him and he's sharing the gospel, teaching them all of the things about Jesus. They were all listening. The servants, the guards, they were all listening. They were hearing. What kind of impact did that have on those people? How many of them got saved through his ministry in that one place? Probably a few, maybe more. But we know also that when he went to Rome, he was once again, had a home there. He was under guard. But when he signed his letter, he, would, he said, you know, uh, greet those in Rome at the palace. So there were people that were there in the palace living there in the Roman palace that were Christians. And I believe that's directly because of his service there, what he was doing there while he was being held. Who has the Holy Spirit put on your hearts? 
How has God? God may not show you the trials and tribulations that you're going to go through, but he may show you people that he wants you to talk to. He may not show you very far in advance. It may be when you're going down aisle three and he wants you to talk to the person in aisle four. Who knows? But he has a plan for each one of us. He gives us opportunities to share the good news. Sometimes it's with a smile. It's greeting someone with a smile as they're going down the aisle. They don't have to know you're Christian. You don't have to hand them a track. All you have to do is go down the aisle and smile. And then as you're trying to beat them to the checkout stand <laughs> because their card is overflowing and you only have three items and then you let them go, oh no, go ahead. Go ahead. And that's not something that people would expect. But when we do it, it demonstrates that we care about others and we care about what other, that person may be late for something and just trying to rush to get home to their kids. And, you know, we don't have anything to, now, personally, you know, I find myself struggling with that. I got that cart moving like at 40 miles an hour down the aisle trying to get to the checkout stand. The other day, I was checking out. I went to the self-checkout because I figured if they watch me, maybe they'll give me a job and I can, because they see how well I do at the checkout stand. <laughs> and, and so while I'm there, a lady in front of me turns and says, hi, Rick. I was taken back. I didn't know. She's my neighbor that lives across the street. I know I've seen her a dozen times, many more than that. I know her husband really well. I talk to him all the time. She had just come in from hiking, so she had like hiking clothes on with a big floppy hat. Didn't recognize, oh, hi, Kim, you know. And I thought, man, I could have been a jerk. I could have been grumpy. I could have been, and my neighbor would have seen that. And, uh, but uh, I got away with that one. So, you know, we can demonstrate the love of God by how we treat other people. And that's what God wants to do. He wants to reach other people with the way we act toward them, with the love that we share towards them. Jesus, others, yourself. And when you put things in that order, then you can have joy. Amen. Amen. 